This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at the BatmanUniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duff Lewin. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe comic podcast, season 12, episode 6, legacy number 293. Today, I am Ian, and with me I have... This is Steph. And this is Scott. And we have a special bonus episode for this month. Normally we do two episodes, but we're doing three this month because of the release of the Robin 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular. This is a collection of 10 short stories by a bunch of famous creators who have written for Robin of various names before, and a lot of artists who are also a lot of classic artists, which will be exciting to talk about. Um, Only one news item, a lot of comic shops are closing for now, so see if you can support them through either their curbside pickup or mail order, or if they're going to do any kind of uh, distant shopping type things. So remember your comic retailer in this time of not buying comics in the store like normal. All right, so let's begin with our reviews of the 10 individual stories from Robin 80th Anniversary, starting with A Little Nudge by writer Marv Wolfman and penciler Tom Grummet. You sound just like Batman. I'm nothing like him. Yeah, right. The mask, the attitude, the long underwear. Drop it! I'd love to know what happened between you two. Things change. No kidding. You guys used to be the greatest. Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo. Maybe you should ask him. I did. And you'll never guess what he said. Things change. In a Gotham church, Zaz holds a priest hostage with Batman at bay when Robin, Dick Grayson, swings in and tackles the crazed killer. Later, in the cave, Batman berates him for recklessness and orders him to follow his commands. But Dick rejects a subordinate position. They get an alert from the museum that a hostage situation has developed and swing in from the roof to confront the criminals. Robin finds an admirer in a young boy wearing a Batman shirt, but the kid takes a bullet in the shoulder while Batman is taking out the thugs. Robin makes the choice to support the boy rather than help Batman, saying he planted a tracker on the villains so they can't get away. After Batman defeats the villains, the boy tells Robin that he wanted a Robin shirt, but they were all sold out. In the cave again, Batman tells Dick he needs to follow the rules. In response, Dick tells Bruce he is grateful for how Batman saved him, and deliberately shaped his life so he wouldn't have the same dark drives that Bruce does. He says he needs to become a man now and leaves, saying he hopes they will meet again later. As he watches Dick go, Bruce's thoughts reveal that he knows today was Dick's 18th birthday, and he deliberately pushed Dick to make this step to become the best man he's ever known. 
Thanks, Scott. So this is a short story about the transition between Robin and eventually Nightwing. It uh, happened a little later in the Judas Contract, also by Marv Wolfman. Um, what are your thoughts about this story? I, I liked it. It was it was definitely one of the ones that at the end I was I said oh because. You know, it does seem like Batman's such a hard ass. <laughs> but to know that there's a personable reason, like he wants Dick to be his own man. And I don't know. I just, I like that. It doesn't always excuse Batman being a jerk. But <laughs> um, the fact that that was his reasoning and that it worked and that this is the evolution, the beginning of the evolution of the boy wonder into, you know, the man Nightwing. So I thought that was. And I really liked like the, I guess it's a seventies kind of style of the art, maybe eighties. I'm not familiar enough enough with with the evolution of of Batman art, but I did definitely get a vibe of, yes, this was the era of the disco Nightwing suit, <laughs> and I like that. Yeah, Tom Grummet was primarily known for his early nineties stuff, so okay. kind of a holdover from the eighties style, I would say. Yeah, I absolutely love this uh, story. It was, I thought it was perfectly placed in the beginning of the issue. <clears throat> um, just in kind of how it, I guess, goes back to the original and kind of takes us through, you know, maybe a story that like everybody kind of knows and in a way may have been beaten to death because, you know, Nightwing's been around for quite a while now. And, you know, a lot of, um, reinventions of batman tend to go back to that well of you know the whole push and pull between dick and bruce but the way this one was put together and you know as steph said the art it's just there was something very nostalgic feeling about it and the way it was written was very much i don't want to say cutesy but i i don't know the emotional resonance really worked for me you know and it's just it was a nice for an issue that's celebrating 80 years of a character, it was probably one of the best ways I felt you could start this celebration off. I completely agree. I think that the the tension between Batman and all of his Robins has always been a firm foundation to build drama off of. But what I think some writers miss is that they do really care about each other. All of the Batmans and Robins. Um, and I think that I don't think that originally Bruce pushing Dick away was supposed to be intentional, but I like this if it, I mean, it doesn't have to be canon. These could be, you know, sort of Elseworlds or out of continuity tales, but I like the idea of putting this in continuity and saying that Bruce deliberately tried to help Nightwing find his way, you know, as a, as an independent adult. And I, agree the art was just really fun it felt very classic and clean but also exciting um this this was definitely a really really strong strong uh robin story and i like the little kid um you know being really inspired by robin but they were sold out of batman well, shirt uh sold out of robin shirts adorable. that, that <laughs> was like really that. cute one thing i really appreciated about the art is I, I know people have been asking for this for years and now they finally get it. This is, this is the 
booty short shorts. This is a this is a onesie that Dick is wearing, and those are a hundred percent thighs and and pixie boots. So <laughs> you finally get your wish, and this is a grown man wearing this outfit, and you and he it does not work. <laughs> he he should His not. His legs be are very good, this. but man, they look awkward. They, and so I think it's and, and I think that that fits with this story of he is literally outgrowing this outfit like no grown man should be wearing this outfit and he's not going to be. And, you know, we know what's what's about to come. So I actually appreciated that that he is wearing this awful suit <laughs> in this comic because it's almost a reflection of what's going on in in his in his life. To me personally, you may disagree. You may love the, the unitard and the pixie boots. <laughs> I don't know if many people do. And the and the green t-shirt with the yellow cape. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, that's a good point. And, you know, I actually didn't even really think about that. You know, I guess, like, I didn't really think too much into it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is a classic costume. So we're going to see that at least once, you know, and that was kind of <laughs> where it ends for me. But, yeah, that how you framed it against like the framework of the story that that's a nice little motif I hadn't thought of before. Something else I did like about this too, in addition is I like it when they can find ways to stick classic uh, rose gallery villains wherever they can in stories, like in the background. So it's not like too in your face and the story's not about them, but you know, starting off with Zaz, you know, it's nice. Agreed. I thought that was a really clever little piece. Um, Zaz is one of those villains who's very dangerous, but doesn't have a ton of stories. So it was nice to have this be sort of a showcase of Dick being able to take down one of those classic rogues. Okay, so we're going to move on to story number two, Aftershocks. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Scott McDaniel. Awfully quiet. Which way is her trailer? This way. On the other hand, that way might be good, too. During the great Gotham City earthquake which preceded No Man's Land, Karen, a brave paramedic, struggles to cross a ruined bridge to save people in an isolated taxi. Swinging overhead, Nightwing catches her before she falls to her death. Nightwing discovers a pregnant mother in the cab. Dick dashes away to get help from a big wrecker, but has to dodge masked looters gleefully trying to kill other survivors. Doing the thugs, Nightwing grabs the wrecker's tow hook and cable, leaping back to the taxi to hook it just as the bridge section collapses. Suspended from the truck, he discovers that the mother has had her baby and wants to name it after him, so he suggests the name Robin. Um, This is a return to the late 1990s event, Cataclysm, when an earthquake destroyed much of Gotham, setting the stage for No Man's Land. And Dick actually was in Bloodhaven at the time, and this was one of the big events that started driving him more towards Gotham again. He returns, of course, to help uh, rescue Barbara and uh, Bruce, because the Batcave actually is severely damaged. And I reread those issues, and this doesn't, this isn't a, something that happens. It's not like a repeat. It's a new story, um, but it fits perfectly into those Nightwing and other Bat Family titles. So, what did you think of Aftershocks? Well, so I've never read 
the whole cataclysm thing. So that's not a story that's in my heart or in my memory. So actually, when you started reading it, I had totally forgotten about this story. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it. The art is fine. The story's fine. I don't know. I just thought it was way too busy and it just didn't resonate with me. And I think that's just a personal thing. There's there's literally nothing wrong with it. It's just was not my favorite. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's been a really long time since Cataclysm for me. So like uh, the memories are fuzzy, but they're there. But I don't know. It's just it 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 all it didn't resonate for me either. I the only thing I really kind of took away from it, you know, like it's nice that he's, you know, saving this lady and, you know, oh, you could name your baby Robin, you know, like that's sweet. But I guess the only thing I took away from this story really was looking at the art and it kind of reminded me of like late nineties, early two thousands art that I used to see all the time that I don't see as much anymore, like that style. So that was kind of like a little walk down memory lane for me. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when a lot of comics kind of looked like this that I was reading at the time, but well, Scott McDaniel um, was the one who drew Nightwing during Cataclysm, so this is literally the same kind of art that you saw back then. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that's that was about it. That was all the story d- did for me, but it didn't like offend me or anything in any way. It was just, it was fine. I actually really like Cataclysm, so this was a big. Uh, fun thing for me. It is kind of perplexing because Nightwing isn't necessarily the biggest character in Nightwing. I would have been kind of interested to see like uh, how Nightwing gets back to Gotham in Nightfall uh, and chooses to become Batman for that time. Or or honestly, I would have loved to see Dixon write Tim because he spent so much time writing Tim Drake, but I guess they had different plans for that. I thought it was a really fun story because it's an actual story. It's got, you know, a conflict and a problem and Dick resolves that conflict by the end. It has a little, I, I found that the, the mother wanting to name the baby and um, Nightwing suggesting Robin, I thought that was another sort of emotional warm moment. And uh, I, this isn't as overtly metatextual as a lot of the other stories. So I can see why it sort of doesn't strike people as being particularly like, profound but i think it's it's really good at capturing why nightwing is a cool hero because he's always thinking of multiple things he's trained by batman but he has that bright touch i mean this takes place in the day um so it's not a a nighttime story and i think that the voicing you know chuck dixon really knows this this character's voice because he wrote nightwing for a really long time as well so i think this is definitely one of my uh, one of the, I mean, actually, this is one of those anthologies that's almost all really good stories. So it's hard to say this is one of the top, but it's definitely a really good story in the collection for me. Um, let's move on to Team Building by writer Devin Grayson, artist Dan Jurgens, and Norm Rapmund. So where are you going? Let's just say that after running this team for a year, I'm peckish for a little action. At Titan's Tower, Nightwing leads the Titans against yet another hive assault. Expertly directing his teammates to defeat the hapless gang, Damien Dark berates his beaten soldiers, walking them through all of their blunders and using the wrong weapons against the wrong Titan members. He reveals he used their 
incompetence as a distraction while he stole the immensely powerful gem. But one of his masked minions swipes the stone, then reveals himself to be none other than Nightwing. On his way out, Dick cheerfully recommends positive incentives for his team to Dark instead of constant death threats. So Devin Grayson probably has the second most famous run of Nightwing after Chuck Dixon. However, it's famous because she has a lot of really bad things happen to Dick and then sort of leaves the run. And she was actually, you know, sort of let go before she could finish the story she wanted to tell. So it's a bit unfair. But if you read this story, you wouldn't get that impression because it's it's a very lighthearted and fun story. So what are your thoughts on team building? I thought this was one of my favorites. And then I realized how little Titans or Robin or Dick there actually is in this episode or this story. And it made me a little sad (laughs) that one of my favorites had so little of the hero in it. But I just thought the Damien Dark reprimanding his guys was so funny. And they're going through what went wrong. And there was just a lot of humor and there was a lot of lightheartedness. And you got to see all these Titans and I'm, whom not that familiar with him got introduced to all these characters and it was a lot of fun. And then at the end, they're just so dumbfounded by the fact that Dick is there. They don't try to stop. him. <laughs> it was just, it was a fun, it was a fun romp. I enjoyed it. I had to read this one twice before I kind of appreciated it. So I'm not a teen Titans person, never really have been. And it's nothing against them. Just I've, it's never been in my kind of sphere of interest. I'm not a team book person usually, but the art on it though was was really fun and really kinetic. And I kind of connected with that. And I guess on my second read it was a, when it really kind of um hit me where I realized like this story is actually kind of clever, you know, in a weird way because it's it's so upfront with the action and you know this this you know team fighting team exercise classic titans 13 titans references you know hive and damian dark and you know the story is really about kind of like the difference of like good versus evil and how they treat their subordinates or their team members or colleagues and so it's really just kind of like in a strange way it's almost like quite literally a corporate um team building exercise or webinar type example and so when i thought about it that way when i realized you know that's what this story really is it like i really appreciated it a lot more and so it was just i thought it was just kind of a clever and unique thing i hadn't really seen in a comic you know done in that way there's so few pages so you know to theme it around something like that was just very interesting I definitely think that Grayson does a great job constructing the story. I think that the art lets it down a little bit in the end. The idea that Dick could just sort of walk out of this villain's lair and nobody (laughs) challenges him seemed a little silly. And you could have changed that by just having him like have a grapple gun and swing out. And that would have made it seem a bit more plausible to me. Um, I am also not a big fan of the, well, I'm, I'm a little bit more hostile. I, I don't like the Teen Titans very much. I don't find them particularly interesting. I haven't really enjoyed most of the stories I've read with them. But this was very well crafted. The humor was on point and uh, really intelligent, as Scott and Steph pointed out. Um, and mostly the art is fine. It's just that last choice to have him just sort of walk out of a villain's lair full of villains 
Well, um, when your page count is so low, well, that's what I, I suggested. Know. Just have him have a grappling gun, and it'll be just a little bit more plausible because it's <laughs> faster than walking. <laughs> that's true. I feel like like that was supposed to be kind of like a cool like Kurt Russell moment or something. You know, like <laughs> he's just like smoking, he just walks away, and no one does anything. But maybe because it's Dick Grayson, it doesn't really come off in the same manner. You know, because he's so light and warm and you know welcoming i don't know that that ending just gave me a little bit it lost a few points for me but it is a it is a fun story okay so story number four the lesson plan writers tim seeley and tom king artist mikhail janine nightwing what are you doing here oh just following a pattern of obsessive behavior instilled in me at an early age you should work on your stealth skills I heard you coming halfway across the roof. Good to see you, too. In Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Agent 37, an undercover Dick Grayson during his presumed death, leads young Paris Pantoja, one of Spiral's skulled girl trainees, on a mission, telling her tales of his mentor, secretly Batman. However, every lesson we see from Batman is contradicted by the lesson Dick teaches Paris. From an improvisation instead of planning direct approach over concealment and stealth, confidence over fear, trust but verify over constant suspicion, to protection over vengeance. He leads Paris in jumping from their chopper, sliding down a cable car lines, brazenly taking out the heavily armed terrorist trying to capture a cruise liner, rescuing a captured scientist, following her Tanzania to take down a death cult, discovering the scientist is actually a red gorilla, then joining the gorilla and her people of Gorilla City and saving the world in a huge primate-on-primate battle, Dick's final lesson is exactly the same as Batman's. Ignore your mentor. Do what you do best. Be you. This is a, a missing tale from the run Grayson during the end of the DC uh, New 52 era from 2011 to 2016. Um, Tom King and Tim Seeley wrote that during the DCU period from about 2014 to, to the end of Rebirth, and then they left to do Nightwing and Batman. Um, they were reteamed with their artist and the colorist, Jeremy Cox, who I think really is one of the best colorists for uh, penciler Mikhail Janine. I really like the way um, Cox's colors are really bright and saturated and make Janine's pencils look really clean, whereas some of his other colorists like Jordi Belair and June Chung in Janine's Batman run haven't quite worked as well, in my opinion. Uh, now, those those people are great colorists, don't get me wrong. I just think that Janine works better with Cox, and it was really cool to see them together again. What were your thoughts on the lesson plan? I really like the art. I mean, Janine, us coming right off Batman, like Janine did some of the best stories or at least some of the most beautiful stories from from the batman run so there's lots of good memories associated with him and it is it is really cool i don't know if it's because people kept bothering me while i was trying to read this story (laughs) but i don't know it was it was good and i really liked that that there is still that respect of batman saying you know this is the way i do it and this is the right way, but <laughs> you know, you do you, wouldn't you do what works for you and you do what doesn't get you killed. And I, I like that sort of mutual respect. It kind of 
solidifies Dick, I guess, as everyone's mentor, uh, like all subsequent Robins, except for, well, even Damien, you know, all look up to to Dick. And I think this kind of makes, solidifies his his position as his own own man and how he got there. And I, I like that, but somehow I just don't really like this story all that much. Is there's nothing wrong with it. It's not bad, but again, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not my favorite, but it was, it was good. Yeah, I, I really like this story. Um, it's, it's some of my favorite art in the um, issue, too. But I think reading it, it, it took a it took a minute for me to, like, sink in because while I was reading it, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, like, wow, like, Batman's kind of portrayed as, like, a real jerk in here. You know, like, there's that <laughs> one line where uh he says like listen robin at their core people are cowardly and self-serving trust no one until you know them and even then never completely which is you know admittedly like a very batman thing but (laughs) i feel like you know what sealed it for me is that last page where you know as you just mentioned you know ignore your mentor do what you do best you know be you robin or whatever it is he says um that you know i feel like is kind of like a linchpin and very crucial to this issue or this story you know and it made me um i don't know i guess see this in a positive light and actually appreciate it for what it is and and what it was trying to do i was a really big fan of grace there are a couple things i didn't like about it but they're not really relevant especially for this story this was very much a love letter to that series. I mean, the original creators obviously are on it, but they captured a bunch of the things that people liked about it. So you had the Skull Girls, so you had that spiral connection and um, Dick's role in that. You have a, a spy mission. You have the the absolute wackiness of a scientist who turns out to be a gorilla. You have uh, Dick Grayson wearing a, a Tarzan-type outfit. Um, oh yeah, that was that. That's probably what threw me off was the half nudity at the end. <laughs> except that every issue of Grayson liked to do that, or at least every issue that Tim Seeley wrote. <laughs> oh gosh, he really liked to have Dick, and that was partly a sort of a reversal of the the classic uh, depiction of character female characters. So you had like female, Huntress yeah. and her belly window. So this was sort of the <laughs> the reverse. Um, and I think it was done in a in a fun spirit way. Some people really didn't like it. Some people took exception to it. Um. I thought it was a little unnecessary, but I never was angry about it. Um, and I, I thought that it was fun that they threw it in there because it was such a, a mainstay of the series. Um, I, I'm i also a huge fan of Tom King. And to me, the scenes of Batman teaching Dick and then Dick just ignoring it until the end, that sort of setup, setup, and then reversal payoff is very Tom King. It's very structuralist or formalist and um, gives it a rhythm. Each each page has this rhythm where Batman has this thing and Dick does the opposite. I I just really like that that element of craft um, in the telling of the story. So, I, I mean, I think this is sort of, again, where we come from in our history. Grayson was a huge story. Uh, it was a big favorite of mine during the 2014-2015 years. Uh, Cataclysm is one of my favorite classic 90s crossover so my association with those is probably giving me some bias towards them but i do no, think i think if, go ahead. i think if i read this a few more times without being bothered by everyone who needed something 
I think I would like this a little bit better. I think it's because I, I had it was so stilted that that the rhythm really kind of fell apart for me for this one. So I think I think upon reread, I would I would actually very much enjoy this one. I just wanted to justify myself. <laughs> no, I think you brought up some good points. I mean, it it is off the wall. It does make strange choices, but I think that. Um, once you acclimate to that, and I think part of the problem is eight-page stories don't really give you a lot of time to acclimate to any weird choices. Like You just mm-hmm. sort of have to accept them. So if it's tying into something that you already love, you're sort of more willing to accept those things. But mm-hmm. I hope that our readers will be able to read this multiple times because I think this this whole, all, all ten of these stories reward multiple rereadings. Um, let us move to our fifth story, More Time. Writer Judd Winnick and artist Dustin Nguyen. Jason, get on out here or I'm going on patrol without you. <laughs> gotcha! Would've, if I hadn't seen you slip behind the computer banks three minutes ago. Nah, I got you. How does it feel? <laughs> it feels awesome! Check me out! I'm Robin, the boy wonder! Are you kidding me? This rocks! Come on, old man. We've got bad guys who need chasing. In Gotham, the Red Hood, Jason Todd, runs across a rooftop as he remembers a time long ago as Robin in the Batcave giving Bruce a birthday present. Thomas Wayne's watch, which Jason was in the process of painstakingly fixing. In the present, Batman finds the same watch left for him on the Batmobile, and Jason wishes him a happy birthday. So Judd Winnick is most famous, I would argue, for writing Under the Hood, the story in 2005 where he brings back Jason Todd, the one character at that point who was supposed to remain dead uh, alongside Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. So he returns to his character that he brought back from the dead, Jason Todd, and tells a story of Jason's memories as Robin. What do you guys think of this story? I think this was one of my absolute favorite stories in the whole thing, which is, it's got the shortest synopsis, but it's adorable. Like, Nustin Nguyen does the art, and his kids are always so cute, and they're just like, Jason, I just want to hug him. He's so adorable. And the voice of the, of, of Jason that I hear when he's little is um, the Under the Hood animated film. And, and so it's just, he's so spunky and funny and cute. And, and it just shows that, that Jason is still a human. Like, I think too many times we see Jason be, you know, the black sheep that doesn't care. And I don't, I hate Batman, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, underneath he doesn't, he loves him. And there is that bond and they are family. And it's just, it just made me happy reading it. And just seeing like the, the juxtaposition of the colors, especially was, was intriguing to me where, in the Batcave when he's young, everything is blue and it's got a very calming, cool hue. And then <laughs> in present day, Gotham City is literally on fire. And, and and there's this present left for Batman and he should be very suspicious of this present and he should probably check it for bombs or, or gas before he opens it, but he doesn't. And inside is the watch and it's just like... You know, Jason's watching him from afar, just wishing him happy birthday. I just thought it was so cute and and very, very lovely and very Jason. This one's my my favorite story in the whole book, like <laughs> easily for me. Um, it it's you know it's very short. 
Um, but it and it moves very fast. But I feel like, you know, the emotions that they play with in there, it's just it's done so well for me. The back and forth, and the fact that um, the second to last or the last page, the second to last panel, you have like little Jason Todd's eyes. Like there's that extra wateriness to them, mm-hmm. you know, as he says, like "Happy birthday, Bruce." You know, and so you have this buildup, and then there's him as a little kid, and he's just like the emotions are building in his eyes, and you can see it. And then, you know, it's him as an adult repeating the same thing after leaving this watch finally built for Batman. It's just, I don't know, I thought it was beautiful. Um, and it's interesting to me for me too, because yeah, Judd Winnick and uh Dustin the Goyen, um, you know, they've they worked on the Red Hood, obviously, this character before. And they've also, side note, wrote one of my least favorite Batman stories ever. So it's it's interesting just because, you know, it, it, they created the Scare Beast. And if there's ever a time where I point to people like the lowest for Batman that I've ever, you know, read that like is my bottom of the barrel that, you know, I want to stay away from is it's it's the Scare Beast story and introduction. And so I did find that like an interesting juxtaposition here where this is like, I'm on the complete other end of the spectrum where I'm just, you know, this one did it for me. So. Yeah. Um, I'm normally the kind of reader who's going to detract points for my rating. If something doesn't really have a plot, this is a combination of two scenes, if you think about it structurally, of just Jason as a kid giving Batman the watch, and then Jason running away from Batman and Batman finding the watch. Um, nothing really happens there. That's why the summary is so short. But it doesn't do justice to the way Winnick and Nguyen, especially as the artist, as uh, Steph says, really capture those emotions. Uh, it's just really good at capturing expressions and nuances of feeling. There's a real sense where I think, and you see it in, in the Dick Grayson stories, where Batman wasn't sure what to do with Dick. He, he loved him dearly, but he was still so broken, and this was the first chance he'd had to have that kind of relationship. And he learned so much from Dick, and he tried to apply that to Jason and be more open. Um, and, of course, Jason, being brutally murdered by the Joker, ripped that away so painfully. And I think you really see that Batman has to hold his distance from Tim and Steph, uh, especially Steph. Um, And um, even to some extent, Damien, because of that trauma of losing Jason when he'd allowed himself to care so deeply for another boy. Um, I, I think this was very effective. I, I, I'm Jason is my least favorite Robin. Uh, not that I dislike him at all, but I think that he is just not as interesting to me as any of the other ones. But this was really well done, um, both on art and writing. So I definitely um, think it's a worthy addition to this celebration. It's very much a celebration of Jason, both as Robin and as Red Hood. So um, moving on to extra credit written by Adam Beecham, Beechin and artist Freddie E. Williams II. Alfred tells me you failed a civics test. Like I really care what a district attorney does. You don't know the first thing about the American justice system, do you? I know it's bogus. And how did you come to that well-thought-out conclusion? Watching you. 
At Gotham City High School, Tim Drake meets with his new guidance counselor, Mr. Grid. Grigsby, who attempts to give him some advice about what to do in order to follow his state goal of pursuing law enforcement as a career. The reader basks in the irony of Bigsby in suggesting a myriad of extracurriculars, all of which Tim practices, but as Robin, so he can't include any of it on his transcript, from science to sports to community involvement. Getting alert on his smartwatch, Tim dashes out to save the day as Robin, as Grigsby stares after him in befuddlement. So Adam Beechin wrote a perhaps infamous run of Robin in which Cassandra Kane is evil and murders a bunch of people. Ah. Um, a lot of people are very upset about this, and most people <laughs> don't necessarily look fondly back on that part, although he also wrote during a period where people really loved Tim in the Teen Titans, and there's a lot of references to that in the art. Um, what do you think of Extra Credit? I think this was one of my least favorite. I think because there was no plot, and then there was also no real emotional connection. So so if, like like that Todd, like the Jason Todd story, like if you're not going to have any plot at all, like that one barely had anything but there was so much emotional connection in that one i really liked it because it could be the most boring plot in the world and if you have interesting characters and good emotional connection i will be there this just really didn't have that it was kind of like oh yeah i like i like tim i like it when he does stuff but it was basically how tim's career as a policeman is in the toilet because he can't get his extracurricular i felt hopeless and sad for him by the end of the by the end of the story and I don't know. Like, I almost don't understand the point of this one other than Tim's career looks bleak. And that was all I, I got feel, from it. I feel like it's just a long joke. Like, that's that's mm. kind of like what the angle was. was just like, you know, like, hey, Tim, you know, if you really want to, like, get a career in law enforcement, you have to stand out and apply yourself and do extra stuff aside from just reading books and passing your tests, you know? And Tim's like, oh, boy, do I, you know, with his little walks down memory lane, you know? And it's it's fine, you know? It's not bad or anything. It's just, yeah, I kind of glossed over it and moved on and didn't really have much to think about it. I think my lasting thought after reading this was, I kind of want to go to that mini golf course <laughs> with the kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I spent like the most time looking at that picture and all the weird, like the other rogues heads in the background and everything. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And then go I bet hop scarecrows attacking because he's not in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that was basically, you know, it, that that's all this story really did for me. So I, hundred percent agree. And when I said I take points away when you don't have a story and it's just a bunch of emotions on the page, this is kind of the story. This one and the later one are definitely the ones I'm thinking about. Um, I do have a bit more connection to this era, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed uh, that we don't really have someone who's really connected to those, I would say, 2004 to 2008 Robin stories that Adam Beechin's really rec uh, sort of referencing this. That's where the emotions are. And I know from talking to people who were a fan of that, that this was emotional for them. Uh, and even though I love Tim Drake, the Tim Drake I love is from the 90s. That is the Tim Drake that really 
means a lot to me. This is the Tim Drake of the mid 2000s, and that's that's a very different path. I mean, that's after war games and identity crisis stripped him of most of his supporting cast, and um, he, he was just a different character. I will be listening with great anticipation to what Rob at Everyone Loves the Drake says about this, because mm-hmm. I know he's read all those and is a big fan of all the Robin stuff. So I hope that he finds this very satisfying. And I think this is really a story for him and, and other Tim fans like that who have really delved deep into that history or grew up with it. So I hope that uh, is is um, is satisfying to them. But I, I tend to agree it wasn't. it's near the bottom of my list for, for these stories. Not that it's bad, but it was just very unsubstantial for me. Let's move on to our next story, Boy Wonders, written by James Tynan IV, art by Javier Fernandez. Tim, you'll be running Gamma. Me? Dick, I've never led a squad before. Making this a good opportunity to get your feet wet as a field leader. Because it's Gamma and you're not expecting trouble? Or because we're stretched thin and you have no choice? Falling through the air above Gotham in joyful acrobatics, Tim Drake, Red Robin, reflects on his life to this point. Trained to be the best by the best, but unlike the others who wore the art, he doesn't have the fire of tragedy directing his path towards Bruce's eternal crusade. He decides to visit Dick, Jason, and Damien to consult with them on what he should do in the face of his competing offers from Ivy University and Batman. While Dick and Tim fight villains on top of a speeding train, Dick tells him he could be a great role model to the next generation of heroes. In contrast, as Jason blasts away at mass mobsters, he tells Tim to learn everything he can from Batman and make it better, surpass Batman's skills. Damien takes yet a third way, in between insults and slicing and dicing roboting foes. The current Robin tells his predecessor that his paralyzing variety of options is in fact his strength. He's free of destiny and should make his choice based on that freedom. Tim takes all of his brother's advice and comes to Batman with an answer. The Gotham Knights Protocol. This story serves as a prologue to writer James Tynan's detective comics run, which ran from the beginning of Rebirth with number 934 till issue 981. Um, Tim Drake actually was quote-unquote killed off in the first arc of that run, but he was still very much a driver of the whole um, series. He came back about a year or so later. Um, and it's very nice to see Tynan, who has proclaimed his adoration of Tim Drake and how much Tim Drake meant to him as a young fan growing up in the mid-2000s. Um, and it, it's it's just a love letter to Tim Drake and all the other Robins. What did you think of Boy Wonders? Um, I didn't realize where the story was going until that last panel. And I think that really kind of cinched, like, how much I liked it. Um, I loved his, his, it's such a Tim. I, well, it's from, from what I know of Tim and as someone who is an academic, like you want as much advice as you can get. And I've kind of been where Tim was, where when I was finishing up high school, I took one of those aptitude tests. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the <laughs> conclusion of the test is like, wow, you're pretty good at everything. You could do whatever you want. And I was like, well, that's not helpful. That's not what I wanted. I wanted you to tell me where to go, <laughs> what to do with my life. And, and so I really kind of resonated with Tim as I'm reading this. I was like, man, I know what you're feeling like right now. And I just loved everyone's advice and how he takes it in and processes it and how Damien's like, well, you're an idiot. You just need to do whatever you want. 
stop stop trying to get people to tell you what to do. And I just really like how Tim's processing his life and thinking about, well, yeah, no one asked me to be Robin. Like, I basically had to force myself into the Robin position. <laughs> you know, everything's always been his initiative. And, and so just at the very end where you see the Gotham Knights hologram, I guess that's what that is there at the end. It's just, I don't know. It made me excited and made me wanted to reread the, um, Jim, the Tanyan uh, detective run. I don't know. I really liked it. A worthy goal. That's a great run. Scott? <laughs> yeah, I hmm, I have a, I have mixed, complicated thoughts on this one. <laughs> or I should say contradicting thoughts on this. So on the one end, I really liked it. And I like that, you know, like the structure of the story. It kind of reminds me of like a fable or something, or like an old folktale or folklore, mm-hmm. where like the hero is going on his journey and asking all this advice from like these different like wise masters and getting you know different little tidbits of information on how to live his life you know but in turn you know they're all basically in a way describing themselves you know and Mm -hmm. how they live their lives and so it's all about like how each robin obviously fits in you know kind of to the greater batman universe which is cool you know and i really appreciate that but then the ending with (laughs) gotham knights protocol i think it's a neat little like prologue on one hand, but the other hand, it really made me kind of miss the, uh, that run and like what was going on there and, <laughs> and threads that were left, you know, untethered and then weren't completed, you know? So there was that where I was like, Oh, well, I kind of, can we bring some of this back, please? <laughs> Those are, you know, I, I have exactly those feelings. I think everyone probably knows I loved James Tynes' detective run. It was my favorite um, title of that time. Now, other titles like Tom King's run or Pre- Christopher Priest on Deathstroke or Greg Rucka's run on Wonder Woman, I did love them. But Tynan's for those two years, from 2016 to 2018, that was my title. That was a title I loved. And... This was, again, a lot of these things are love letters. This is a love letter to that run. This is a love letter to Tim Drake and his relationship with his brothers. And this is actually not really a story either. Uh, it's it's um, There's no conflict. It doesn't really have a, a villain to beat. or uh, The problem that he solves is, is just <laughs> the prologue to Detective Comics. But it has Tim interacting with Dick, Jason, and Damien. And... Some people have been really harsh on Tynan for, quote-unquote, reducing the Robins to one trait. I don't think that's the case. I think Tynan is trying to highlight and contrast them. He's not saying that, you know, Dick is only the leader or that Jason is only the angry one or that Damien is only the arrogant, spoiled brat. He's saying those are their contrasting characteristics with the other Robins. Um, I really like uh, what Steph said about uh, you know, really resonating with Tim's indecision. I mean, this is really good at capturing uh, points of view from different perspectives, and Tim's perspective is often difficult to grasp because he he doesn't have quite as easy a story to, to grasp. You know, Dick Grayson, circus parents killed in tragic uh, murder by Tony Zuko. Jason, steal the hubcaps off of uh, the Batmobile. Damien... <laughs> 
science experiment of evil super genius um, who decides to become a hero after his father instead of his evil mother. Age-old story. I mean, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I... I just really enjoyed it. I think that there is a lot more depth than people are going to be willing to admit. Tynan is careful in what he says. He doesn't say that Jason is just the angry. He says that Jason is someone who's got a lot of distance between him and Batman. And Dick isn't just the leader. He's also, you know, really um, thoughtful and connected to people, which I suppose makes him a good leader. And of course, uh, Tim and Dick on a train is a reference to Nightwing number 25, one of the most famous issues of Nightwing ever, where Tim and Dick actually uh, ride a train and fight villains completely blindfolded. That's a very classic issue, and it's one of everyone's favorites because it's Tim and Dick bonding. So Tynan is clearly an enormous fan of these characters and their history and does a great job, I think, of capturing that relationship, which bumps it up for me in terms of ranking just because even though it doesn't have that complete story feeling, it is capturing something that the other stories really aren't. There's not a lot of interactions between the Robins in these stories. They're much more about Robin and Batman. Or When you say that people are giving Tynion a hard time about um, how he's betraying the other Robins, are you saying in general or for this issue? Both. Um, I mean, I've been oh. reading a lot of reviews and having discussions on uh, Discord and other places about this issue. And Tynan got a lot of flack for what he did in Batman and Robin Eternal. People said that he reduced the Robins to um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I disagree. While I think that Batman and Robin Eternal is flawed, I don't think that's one of the flaws. I think that all of the Robins get some very good character moments that are complicated. They're not just reduced to single traits. Um, so, so, so yeah, gonna it's say, both you, classic. I was going to say, if you're talking about this one or, or Detective Comics, like those are those characters weren't main characters in those stories or this one. So it's like, well, what are you going to do with in this one? Each, each other Robin got a page to a page and a half. And there's only, so, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's only so a lot of them are coming from that Batman and Robin eternal thing. Okay. okay. All right. So uh, we're going to move to the story that I've been waiting for uh, <laughs> ever since this issue was announced fitting in writer, Amy Wolfram, Artist, Damien Scott. That's Tetch? For a Mad Hatter, he's kind of, well, hatless. No hats. It's a condition of his parole. Hmm. Good thing he's not called the Mad Panther. In the Batcave, Stephanie Brown, Robin of just three days, arrives after school for training. Though many setbacks have already occurred, she approaches her new role with vigor, despite the costume not fitting her well at all. Batman and Alfred scan her to make a new suit, and she not so patiently waits for its construction. When it's ready, she begins again in earnest, on an official mission, fighting Firefly as he attacks the amusement park western town. The villain mocks the new Robin, calling her Cosplay Girl, and though Batman tells her to stay outside as he chases Firefly, Steph charges ahead, determined to prove herself. Firefly captures and ties her up, but Steph frees herself and uses a roller coaster car to capture the villain. Batman tells her she must learn to follow orders, while Steph counters that she has to be Robin in her own way, and not the way of the previous three Robins. The next day, Steph comes in expecting to be fired, but instead, Batman has created a changing room in the cave, and acknowledges that she needs to find her own way, though still warning her he will just as hard on her as on the boys. 
In her new changing room, Steph says, I'm so ready. So Amy Wolfram actually has no history with Stephanie Brown. She mostly has written Dick Grayson in the cartoon Teen Titans, and then it's spinoff Teen Titans Go. She also writes DC Superhero Girls, which doesn't really feature any of the Robins. Although, pitched to DC Superhero Girls, Stephanie Brown exists. You could make her Robin in that show. Um, what do you think of fitting in? Oh, my, I want to ask a question first. How in continuity is this? Like, would this make sense, or was she fired before she would have gotten to this point? Steph, I mean, this is only day three. Steph was Robin for about three months in oh, okay. in universe time. I think it was like 70 or 80 days. Um, and this would happen right between, actually it would happen during some of the pages of Robin number 126. And I should note that Damien Scott, the artist on this, was the artist for those three issues of Robin when Steph wore this costume and he designed the costume. So that was a really cool thing for me personally, as a huge fan of Stephanie Brown, that they got the original artist, even though the writer has no previous history with her. So, um, there are some things that are a little, um, edgy on continuity. Previously, Bruce never took off his cowl with Steph. Whereas in this one, he's taking off his call all the time. Um, so it does feel a little different, but I, can make an argument that it still very much fits into that time when she was Robin. Okay. Um, I thought it was cute. I thought it was a very good story. Um, I loved how it addressed some issues that are never discussed in comics, which is golly, those are tight outfits and yes, they would ride up. (laughs) And the fact that the boys would have had a cup and extra blocking equipment <laughs> might might help them. Um, but for, for poor Steph, you know, she really did. The, it almost, like, helped make sense of why she has a skirt. And I just really appreciated the, like, reality of, of this issue. <laughs> um, wasn't a super fan of the art, especially at the very end. Her mouth was, like, super big. But her, the outfit was really cute and and her hair is just amazing and i just thought it was a really cute story and i liked it a lot yeah i mean i i liked it overall like i don't really have a lot of thoughts about this one you know it you know it's it's obviously like a story with kind of like a point or a theme to it you know about her kind of feeling out of place and taking her spot on the team and and as a robin you know but I guess, like, I don't know. It just didn't have a lasting impression with me. Part of it was the art. And when you're giving the background of the writer, too, that kind of made sense to me because I feel like this story felt um, more cartoony out of the rest of them, you know, and the, the, not just, like, in the art, but in the actual, like, dialogue and everything itself, like, very kind of, like, cartoon quippy at times. And so, you know, it was... It was nice, but I, beyond that, I don't really have any other thoughts either way. You know, I just, I generally liked it, but. Well, I, I did think, have one. Go ahead. I had another question for Ian. Sorry. Um, so a lot of times when she says things like, you know, I need to do this on my own or she ignores him or whatever. One reason I think I read that a little differently than when the boys do it is, is if I remember correctly. And of course, that's why I'm asking you. So you would know better than me. That's kind of what gets her killed as spoiler, isn't it? Like she, she wants to prove herself. And so she steals those, the, the plans to that great Batman 
plan and and doesn't know half of what she needs to do and that's how she dies isn't it sort of it is correct that um her disobeying orders um causes batman to fire Mm -hmm. her even though every other robin disobeys orders so it was very unfair um and then you're correct she stole the plans and to prove herself she wanted to uh, Batman actually told her to stop being spoiler as well. So she wanted to keep being a hero. So she wanted to prove herself. So she started the war games trying to um, bring all of the gangs in Gotham under Batman's control. Unfortunately, she didn't know who matches Malone was, who is Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, that meant that all of the gangs started fighting and ripped Gotham into pieces. Um, and ultimately that did sort of get her killed, although she didn't, die because of retcon um one day i will do a podcast about war games um and i will explain why i think that's very out of character and that it's very poorly constructed but i think that the the arc of steph trying to prove herself is in character and um i i would say that it's it's a good setup for what happens later even though that's very tragic uh, does that answer the question? I'm not sure. Sort of. And so that, I think that's just one one of my big takeaways was from this was I just really had that feeling of, oh, that attitude is going to get you killed. <laughs> and and so it was different than, than, I don't know, when would the boys do it just because there is that future history <laughs> retcon. Whatever. I think that's fair, although to my mind, and I know people disagree with me, but I have clear biases that are about to become very much clearer. I think Steph is right in this. Batman doesn't trust her. And I don't think it's a case where he's, I don't think he should have trained her this way. I think he should have set her up to succeed instead of just saying blindly follow my lead and stay out of danger. He should have taught her how to deal with danger. And we never see him really trying to teach that kind of independent Action, even though, as spoiler, she's been capable of that independent action. I think that it's a mutual failure of Steph being so independent that she um, she does need to learn to follow some instructions. But Batman never gives her enough training or instruction of how to handle those bigger threats. So, so that was my read on that. And I think that this story sort of represents a turning point where it could have gone a better way, where Batman could have trusted her more. But as we know, he didn't, and it ended more... Uh, more tragically. Um, any more thoughts before I launch into what uh, will probably be a Dustin-length rant? Go ahead. All nope. right. So, as I said, I was waiting for this story since this was announced, and I initially—I mean, I've gone through a huge roller coaster, which is an intentional joke, by the way, because there's a roller coaster that's a big part of this story of emotions um, with the, we, we originally didn't know who was writing it. We didn't know even if we were going to get a whole story. Um, we didn't know who was going to be doing the art because originally Nicola Scott was announced to do the art and she actually did a pinup, but she didn't do the art for the story because they screwed up the announcement. Um, Damien Scott is a very unusual artist. He's very graffiti inspired. Um, he's very not realistic. Um, He's very exaggerated, and he's drawn Stephanie Brown as Robin three times. First, when she first appeared in Robin uh, 126 to 128, and then again in Solo, which was in 2006, two years later, in a little short story about Batgirl, Cassandra Cain, and Stephanie Brown as Robin teaming up. 
And then again here, uh, let's see, this would be 16 years later, um, and his style changed every time. In the first one, it was a little more realistic. It was still very exaggerated, but he wasn't going for those extreme fisheye lens looks that you get here. In the 2006 one, he had a very Gumby style. Everyone had very uh, bendy-looking lo legs and arms, and um, it had a very sort of cool and almost plasticky coloring, which I liked but was very different. And this one... He goes for a really animated style, which is appropriate, as you say, um, for a cartoon writer. Uh, and he has a very cartoon style. Uh, so I like the fact that it's very much him. It looks like Stephanie Brown as Robin from 2004, but it also has new stylistic choices that are different and, uh, and a development artistically. And Brad Anderson's colors are really great. They're very warm. He uses a lot of modern techniques without overdoing it. So I'm really a big fan of the color. The writing, um, I was a little disappointed that I didn't pick like Chuck Dixon or Brian Q. Miller, who wrote her Batgirl, um, to do this issue. But um, I think Wolfram really constructed a good story. It's very thematically unified around, I mean, the title is Fitting In, so it's very much about the fitting in the suit and the role and finding your own place. Um, she, she puts in some... Uh, very strong feminist themes without making it really in your face. So Stephanie gets tied up in the middle of the story and put on a, uh, a railroad track, which is a, a roller coaster. But that's that classic, you know, 1920s mm -hmm. silent movie where a, a woman gets tied up and the villain is twirling his mustache next to the track saying, ha ha. But instead of the hero coming in to save Stephanie as she's tied up, she frees herself and defeats the villain with his own train. And I thought that was a really good sort of feminist subversion of that trope. And also, at the end, she gets a changing room of her own in the Batcave. And that, to me, as I thought about it, was very much a reference to Virginia Woolf's classic A Room of Her Own, which is the idea that to become more equal, women have to have their own spaces. They have to be able to develop on their own rather than always being dependent on you know, a man's definition or a man's space. So I thought that there were some really good feminist themes despite the fact that it's, you know, just a uh, eight-page story and mostly cartoony and fun. So I think that Wolfram put some serious thought into what was going on with this issue, and I am very happy to add this to the, the history of Stephanie Brown as Robin, which is only like 10 issues, but this is another one. I did have one question, especially for Steph. Um, some, some readers have been very upset by the fact that Steph's uniform tears, you know, in training because it's Tim's uniform and it, it's not made for a girl. I did not read this as being tr uh, an attempt to show Steph as like really, you know, sexualized or, or uh, teasing the, the, the reader with, you know, these images. I did not read that. That to me, it felt more like just, as you said, realism, but do you think I'm wrong? Do you think I'm off base in not seeing sexualization in those costume uh, difficulties? I think it's like I was saying before, it's more realism in these, in these costume realities. If, if, cause it's not this particular artist's fault that 
that women in these skin tight costumes exist in comics. Like that's just been the, the standard for years. And I've been actually doing a little reading on, on the live action movies where these poor women, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer talked about how like she had to be baby powdered down and then like squeezed into the outfit and it hurts so bad. And it's like, wow. So the reality is that having skin tight outfits really is just awful. Like you couldn't be a superhero or a villain because you'd just be miserable the whole time. So the fact that she's so uncomfortable in this stupid thing and it's tearing because they're not her pants. She probably has, I don't know, a bigger booty than Tim does. I don't know. Well, I mean, she and has I had don't... a baby at this point, so. <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, she's got woman hips and uh, Tim doesn't have woman hips. And so I think it is it is more realistic than over-sexualized. Yes, she has breasts. Guess what? 50% of Americans have breasts. It's just a fact. And, I mean, and Not just Americans. They're... The entire world has that. <laughs> That's right. That's true. 50% of the world. Breasts. And so, you know, it's not hypersexualization. If If there was like nipples drawn on it and they were like in your face in like every panel, yes. Oh my gosh. Why? But this one, in fact, the only unrealistic outlining that I see while scanning through this are her abs, <laughs> which you don't see on women all that much. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And, and that is not my, that is not how I, my takeaway. That's not how I read it. It's just showing that it doesn't fit. In fact, if you look at right after she gets the scan, even the seams of the on the side of her of her uh, ribs, you like the the costume is straining there too because she has breasts and it's not sexualized at all. Like they're not so big that you see side boobs. It's just like no, this is seriously uncomfortable and she should not be wearing this outfit. <laughs> and so it's it's I think it's more realistic. And hypersexualized TLDR. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really yeah. appreciate that, and I'm glad that we have your perspective on this. Um, and I, I do want to say, I I understand when certain things hit people, you know, personally. If you've had, you know, body image issues, or you've had, you know, an embarrassing incident with your clothes where you were mocked about it. I could definitely see this being very uncomfortable for you. But I um and you know I've <laughs> I am a man obviously but I have had my pants ripped down the middle and that was very embarrassing. So that that felt realistic to me as well. Um I think that it is valid if you're uncomfortable with that. But that I don't I don't see this being intended as, you know, fetishy or, or titillating. I don't see that. And so if you, if you don't enjoy this story, I, I totally, as you're right, you, you're a reader, you have just as much a valid perspective, but I think that if you put yourself more in the mindset of, of the themes and the, the, the spirit of the art and the writing, I think that this is, an empowering story, an affirming story that Steph could have been a great hero and, and lasted much longer as Robin rather than some kind of attempt to, you know, put her down or objectify her. Um, and I, as I said, I'm really happy to add this to Stephanie's history as Robin. I think it gives some depth and enjoyment. And that was always the biggest thing about me for Stephanie Brown in her attitude as Robin, she was so excited and so enthusiastic. And this captures that really perfectly. All right, let's move on to my best friend, writer Peter J. Tomasi, artist Jorge Jimenez. I should have known. That girl? 
I have things well under control. You should help your friends. I am. Robin, I'm sorry for what I said. You, you're not a waste of time. I'm glad you're okay, Boy Wonder. Come back, girl. I will allow you to tuck me in, but I cannot promise that I will sleep. Lois Lane gives her son, John Kent, Superboy, the I've won a Pulitzer Prize pep talk to get him ready to write his paper about his best friend. As he writes about his impressions of Damien and their relationship, we see flashes of his relationship with Damien from their conflictful first meeting to their team up against giant robots, gorilla to going to school together. He gets emotional about the times Damien has saved his life and enjoys the memories of just hanging out with his best friend. Damien shows up as John has fallen asleep at his computer, asking if Superboy would like to go on patrol with Robin. So this, of course, is... Peter Tomasi and Jorge Jimenez, who worked together on the Super Sons title, starring John and Damien. Uh, again, a love letter to that series, which was unfortunately canceled because John was aged up for Brian Michael Bendis' Legion of Superheroes uh, run. Um, what do you think of My Best Friend? So, I know I sound like a broken record, but one of my favorite things about Tomasi which he doesn't do anymore, <laughs> is his dialogue between two people. Any two people, really. And as long as they have some kind of relationship. And their banter. And it's awesome. And in the two pages in this story that people have dialogue, I loved it. I love John turning, like rolling his eyes at his mom. Like, yes, I know you've won a Pulitzer Prize or, or whatever he calls it later, a Wolitzer. <laughs> and that, that, that three panels of conversation is so great. And then when, when Damien walks in to find him asleep on the computer and he's read, you know, his paper, that was adorable. And it's so, it's just so them and it's so great. And we get six total panels of dialogue in this whole in this whole story and it was cute and you see them having fun and there's lots of john damien cuteness which i die for but it's the magic wasn't there like i think i was telling ian earlier it's like super sun's light <laughs> all the elements are there but there's just not enough of it and i was i don't want to say disappointed but i i definitely got less and less excited as I went from page to page on this story. The art was fabulous. I, I adored the art. But Mr. Tomazi, please write more dialogue between people. Thank you. Amen. That's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah I love the art, but I did not like this story. Like, it, there's, I don't know. It. I don't really have a reason for it other than, I guess, stuff said a best with the magic's not there. So it's just, I felt like this was kind of filler, you know, and, and I wish there was another story in its place. Mm -hmm. Like if we had just a little short story of Damien and Jonathan actually doing something together, that'd be great. But it was just a picture book with captions on it. And it was, eh. I want to be as upfront as possible. <laughs> I think people know I don't like Tomasi. 
because of that, I didn't really enjoy Super Sons. Now, I will agree, the art on Super Sons, at least when Jimenez was drawing, when the other artists took over, it wasn't really, it wasn't nearly as good. But when Jimenez was on art, it was it was fantastic. It was very thoughtful. And I also agree, Tomasi does a really good banter back and forth. Um, also, he's good at hitting those emotional moments. Um, I did want to mention, though, that what I think Tomasi's best issue ever has zero words. Is the issue where Damien has died and Bruce is oh, yeah. silent. That is a powerful issue. And even though I am not a fan of Tomasi, he did a magnificent job. And a lot of that was, of course, Patrick Gleason. But Tomasi knew how to structure that story. And it went, and he's very good. Um, I'm not convinced that Tomasi's great at short stories. Now, some people really like his action 1000 story where Superman goes through all the decades and fights various villains. I did not like that because it didn't make sense. And it was, again, just a picture book with captions. I don't think that's really good comic storytelling. I like panel to panel, um, interaction and action. And even, you know, just the action can be emotion. You can just have expressions going on, but there was no story here. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a bunch of scenes. And I don't know, were like the robot gorilla, was that a thing that was in the Super Sons? Or is that a, like, I don't even know. Yeah, I was, I was thinking when you were describing that the Tim story had a lot of flashbacks to things that actually happened. I was thinking about that. I really don't remember any of these. And I've, yeah. I have all of them. In confession time, I abandoned ship on the Super Sons like four or five issues in. I just... Nope. So. Well, it was my lifeblood. It was my favorite, and I don't remember these. I don't remember a giant baby Jonathan. And I, don't, I don't know why we couldn't have had, like, the the robot gorilla if it wasn't an original story. Why, why couldn't that be the story, you know? Yeah. Um. And, and I agree. I actually really like the little joke where, you know, Lois says, I won Bulletfers, and John is like, oh, yeah, whatever, Mom. And then he writes his story. And just like Lois, he can't spell words. And I thought that was a really <laughs> good touch. Tomasi knows how to get his con- continuity jokes in there. That's a really good one. Um, but <sighs> this has no story. Um, and it doesn't really have interaction either. So this really loses a lot of points, even though the art gives it many points. It loses most of them just because I, it's such a lost opportunity. I, as I said, I don't like super sons, but it has these passionate fans and they deserved a new adventure. You know, I did make up for super sons adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Adventures of the super sons. Oh, that was awful. Very silly. That was awful. (laughs) And it didn't have good art either. So that was part of the problem. Um, I mean, just like, you know, Jason Todd fans really love that interaction between Bruce and Jason, and they got it in this story. And Stephanie Brown fans really love the idea of her being Robin and that attitude, and we got that. She beat a villain in this issue, so we get to add that. Super Sons fans get John writes an essay. That doesn't seem <laughs> fair to them, you know? Um, so so that's just my thought. I wanted to be really up upfront about my biases and, and and talk about the positives you know i think there are positive i just think this is very much one of the weakest stories in the collection like um, even if you know even if it had been an essay about my best friend if he had told a little story where he had to fudge all the details to make it real like not superhero and like then the gorilla juxtap- story come on like the, yeah like like that like yes Maybe there would have been too much juxtaposition in the issue, but <laughs> I, I thought that would have been cute. 
I, of the three of us at least, would have been happy. <laughs> but as And I is, think you deserved a good story from it. <laughs> I was very patient. As someone who sat on my butt not doing anything, I guess I deserve. <laughs> but I don't know. You bought was, all the issues. That That's something. I did. That's true. I did buy all the issues. I, yeah, this was just a waste of paper and a waste of their time, I think. And that's painful to say. I feel bad saying that, but it really was a waste of, of the art and a waste of their time. All right. So our final story, story number 10, is Bat and Mouse, writer Robbie Thompson, and Armin, artist Raymond Villalobos. Uh, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. Bad enough you won't let me out in public as Damien. The least you could do is let Robin have a life. Ugh! If you're a little more trustworthy, I would. You've never trusted me. Trust has to be earned, Damien. That works both ways. Batman thinks about his family as he readies to confront his son, Damien, who has been hiding something big. Uh, This is a note about Damien's current plan in the Teen Titans title, which uh, Robbie Thompson Thompson is writing right now. Meanwhile, Robin thinks about the lack of trust Batman has in him as he uses holotechnology to lead Batman on a false trail, but his father sees through his tricks and finds him on a rooftop. The two find Quietus, one of Talia al Ghul's Leviathan operatives, and take him and his robot army down, while each thinks about their own lack of ability to reach out to the other across their disagreements about how to fight crime. Batman calls his Batmobile to win the battle, leaving father and son with no way to bridge the emotional gap between them. The editor's notes inform us that this story will continue in the Teen Titans Annual Number 2 next month. Uh, as I said, Robbie Thompson is currently writing uh, Teen Titans. I don't think Raymond Villalobos is drawing it, but he does have a similar style to Chris Burnham, um, who did a lot of Damien stories with Grant Morrison and recently did the Damien um, flashback with Alfred in Pennyworth R.I.P. So I think that's why he was chosen to to sort of capture that feel. What do you think of Bat and Mouse? Well, I mean, at least it's some... Attempt at not if not a, it's not a re- resolution, but at least in its attempt at father and son talking. And I like how you you do see their inner mon their inner inner monologue and their struggle to to connect and to talk to each other. But at least they're trying, and I I appreciated that, and I liked that it definitely tied to continuity. I need to catch up on Teen Titans. I haven't read it in forever. Um, but I, I liked the thought behind it. I, I liked the characterizations. I really didn't like the art. They, they look very squished. Damien's face is very squished. <laughs> um, and I'm not a big fan of the scratchiness. But um, overall, I mean, it was the better of the two Damien stories, which is tragically my opinion. But uh, overall, I, I appreciate it. I don't know if I'd say I like it, but I appreciate it. um so i'll start off by saying i absolutely love this art bill lobos's art is i could read this all day i could flip through this and really get on board that was my favorite part of this um reminded me a little bit of uh set artist frank quietly yes who's also a big uh influence on chris burnham so and a big collaborator with grant morrison one of the creators of damien so yep yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could if this whole book had this art, I would be on board. 
you know, but that being said, the story, it's like, it's, it was nice that it attempted to talk about that. The, the rift between Damien and Bruce, you know, but it didn't really do anything other than what we've kind of seen lately, which is just like, I'll kind of mention that there is a rift, you know, like we just had that again. And wasn't there like an annual that came out in the last few months that just played around with this idea that there's this rift that exists and we'll get into it later. You know, was that the, the Christmas episode or yeah, with the orphanage, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one. And, you know, instead of really, you know, I, I don't know. I go back and forth. I guess you could argue that the story kind of goes into how stubborn they both are and that they don't convey mm-hmm. their feelings. But at the same <laughs> time, it ends basically as an ad for, you know, the Teen Titans annual. And so, you know, to finish your story, go find this other issue. And it just that rubbed me the wrong way. And I don't like when they do that. I know it's something they've done quite a bit, you know, and we saw in they've done Detective it in every Man. single one of these stories. Yeah. And so it's always at the bottom of my list for these types of collections is when they do that. You know, I think the worst one was the Ark of Night one, but um, yeah. The just, payoff was so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and going back to the picture book with narration, that's what that one was. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I. Oh, that's true. Complicated, but not, I guess I would lean towards not really a fan of the story. So I actually solicited some comments from our Discord members. Caspian number seventy-five um, has some really good thoughts about how he liked. He likes that it's tying into modern continuity, uh, giving us a picture of the current relationship, and I think that's totally fair. Um, it, it is well written. I don't. I don't want to give the idea that it's like you know bad dialogue and bad action and stuff. It's it's well written, well drawn. Um, and if you are a fan of the current Teen Titans run, I think this probably could be your jam. Um, to me, this issue should be a celebration of ramen. And Damien is, to put it quite frankly, being an idiot here. He is <laughs> doing the same thing with villains that the Justice League did in Identity Crisis, wiping their minds and letting them go free. Mm-hmm. And that turned out really, really badly in Identity Crisis. And it turns out, and I'm 100% sure that it's going to turn out badly in Teen Titans. So I think it's really unfortunate that they chose to, you know, emphasize. And I have no problem with heroes making mistakes. I I think everyone knows my favorite character is Stephanie Brown, but I think she's very flawed. She is impulsive. She does, you know, leap before she looks. Um, she doesn't always listen or learn. And, you know, she does, uh, you know, have a temper on her. I don't have a problem with good characters having flaws. I think Damien trying this is not out of character. I just think it's really dumb, which is out of character. Damien's a smart character, and I don't I don't like the writers making him be stupid for the sake of a conflict. Um, I also don't him like... Him wiping their minds is stupid, or him fighting with Batman and not telling him what's going on is stupid? I think not telling Batman, and I think that wiping their minds are both stupid choices. Um. Sorry. I I don't feel like this celebrates Damien. And I think it's really unfortunate that, you know, a celebration of Robin, I would argue the two weakest stories are about Damien, the current Robin. I, I think that 
he should have had. And this, maybe this will make people mad because it's what could have been, but I wish we'd had a story. Uh, heck, well, no, Scott Snyder couldn't do it. But um, a story of Dick as Batman and Damien as Robin. I think that would have been oh, really yeah. well received. I think people would have yeah. loved to see that. Um, oh, yeah, I missed that. And, and I think that this is a pale shadow of what that could be. And I think that Bruce and Damien have a rich and complex relationship. And this is just really one note, you know? Um, I, I This is my least favorite of the stories. Uh, and I think that it just isn't what what could have been. And, and, and neither of the Damien stories are what could have been. And I think that he he's such a rich character and could have been, you know, could have had a story right up there with, you know, the, the Marv Wolfman, Dick, uh, Dick Grayson story. It could have been just as, as powerful as that, but instead both of them just have, have wrong notes that sort of discordant and missed opportunities. So, um, this is not to take away. I'm I'm sorry that the last story is kind of our bum note, but (laughs) this was such fun to read i had such a good time reading this anthology um and there's a couple of things i want to mention um we had bat computer profile pages um this is what i want to see in those secret files you know tell <laughs> us the little history of the characters and give us some nice art of them um stop just you know telling dumb stories that don't connect to anything in secret files um it also has a bunch of classic covers featuring the robins um, that are you know reprints of old issues that relate to the stuff that's going on. We also have four pinups, uh, which are separate arts that could be like posters, so you could pin them up on the wall. We have Kenneth Rockefeller drawing Red Hood and the Outlaws, combining both the uh, New 52 and Rebirth teams. You have Nicholas Scott drawing Stephanie Brown as Robin. You have Frank Miller doing a pinup of Carrie Kelly as Robin. And you have Andy Kubert, who's the co-creator of Damian Wayne with Grant Morrison, drawing all five Robins, um, which is really cool. Um, do you guys have a favorite pinup from this um, from this collection? I'm not looking at them right now, but the one that sticks in my mind is is the Red Hood one. Um, I think of these sticks stories... in mind for good reasons or bad reasons. <laughs> no, no, I really liked it because because even though I know that the the Starfire Arsenal what wasn't people's favorite. <laughs> um, but they were still cool, and then teaming them up with the with Bizarro and Artemis, and I just I just thought it was really cool, and and I like I like that. Team. I like the uh, Kubert uh, Anderson one at the end there. Uh, I thought that was I, it's just nice to see them all together like that, and the, I just love the colors and you know them kind of all looking out downward and away towards Gotham City, and I love the cityscape in the background and everything with. <clears throat> the zeppelins the only caveat i would add is they're missing one they're missing jaro i am going to tell steph to erase that from this podcast jaro is not <laughs> no! real robin jaro robin was so cute <laughs> he is cute but he is not a real robin um he's the best robin of 2019 Sure, of 2019. <laughs> uh, not the best Robin of 2004, for certain. Um, I agree with um, 
with Scott. I love the Andy Kubert. There's a little weird perspective going on with Damien's feet. They're really tiny, and I know what he's trying to do, but it looks odd. Uh, this was also colored by Brad Anderson, and I've already waxed very eloquently about why I love Brad Anderson, but this is just warm and rich and atmospheric. I love the fact that they're looking down because they're protectors. They're protectors of Gotham, and they all have, you know, serious, but also, you know, not uh, really dark expressions. They're still Robins, and I think that's really cool. Um, interestingly, Nicholas Scott's uh, Stephanie Brown is really not my favorite. Um, she's my favorite character, but I thought, and, and Nicholas Scott's one of my favorite artists, but the pose is, is kind of awkward, and the lighting is, is not as dramatic as I wish it was. So I was a little bummed by that pinup, and I hope that proves that even though I have a favorite character, I'm not blind, and I don't say everything's my favorite just because of her. Um, let's get to our... Uh, oh, one more thing before we get to our discussion questions. Um, really, only one discussion question. What is your favorite cover? There were um, eight decade covers and the uh, main cover, the red cover by Lee Weeks. So what was your favorite, starting with Steph? Um, see, I'm trying to figure out which one this is. I think it's the Jim Lee one where he Robin's hopping through the hoop. And he's like giving rock fingers or llama, whatever. And I just think the face, his face on that one is so cute. Like that is a boy having fun. And I just like Batman smiling in the background. That one really cute. Um, and then my other favorite is probably all the Robins together. Yes, Yasmin Putri. Yeah. Yes. That's just fun. And even though they're all black haired white boys. <laughs> You, they really are distinct. Like Dick is wearing his booty shorts and pixie boots <laughs> and is somersaulting through the air. Like you can tell 100% that is Dick Grayson. And then each, each Robin just has a distinct costume and a weapon. And Carrie Kelly is there. She's about to shoot my eye out. I'm not a big fan of that part. But <laughs> I think I really, I just really like that one. Same. Yeah, I like the Yasmin Poetry co cover as well. And, you know, I love like the little touches. I mean, obviously, you have Carrie in there, which is cool. But I love that um, Jason, he has a red mask and then he has a tire iron. Tire iron. <laughs> so, you know, I thought that was a nice little touch. But yeah, that was by far, I think, my favorite cover. I think. No one will be surprised that my favorite cover was the Derek Chu, Stephanie Brown. Um, and it's not just because of that. I really like Derek Chu's style. He's done a lot of variant covers. He has a very light, um, it's almost a computer-generated look, uh, but it's very painterly. So he, he uses mm -hmm. light a lot and is very luminous. And Steph's hair is really lit up. And the way the light bounces off the red of her costume is really cool and is very action-oriented. So she's swinging through the air with her feet towards the viewer. And she's got that great Stephanie Brown Robin smile on her face. So that is my favorite. I also I love the Jim Lee one because it's an homage to Robin's introduction in Detective Comics in the 1940s. I loved the Tim Drake one by Tim uh, Jim Chung where Batman's upside down and Tim Drake is swinging towards the viewer. That's great. Uh, the Yasmin Putri with all the Robins is also fantastic. So a lot of really good covers. Um, and I am, am really pleased with this, this entire package from covers to interior. So um, our discussion question starts with the, the uh, 
bit of trivia knowledge that a plural for a group of robins is a riot of robins, which is a really cool little alliteration. So, of this riot of robin stories, what is your favorite story and why? Um, I would have to say the Jason story just because it's it is very emotional and it really it drew drew me in and the art is just even though it's it's very simple I think between the colors and the looks on their faces it just really tells a beautiful simple story that really got me in the feels and I really liked it and I think I think that is my favorite same like I, I think we're just on the same wavelength for that one i same story same reasons why i got a little <laughs> little tear in my eye at the end <laughs> so that's yeah that that did it for me if only they would have shoehorned jaro in there somewhere maybe <laughs> jaro needed a whole 80 page giant of his own apparently <laughs> um my favorite was definitely fitting in and that's I don't think it's just because Steph is my favorite character. I think that it's a very well-crafted story. I like the themes. Steph, to me, just is so much an embodiment of what Robin is. It's a grin in the dark leading people to safety. And she has that grin. She has that desire to protect. She has that sort of rebellious nature that Robins all have. Um, and I I love the art. I loved how it was the same artist who designed her, but it was a new style, a new look, and the coloring made it have a new feel. So I I just love the whole craft of it, the whole themes and the way it was constructed. That story meant so much to me as a Stephanie Brown fan and as a Robin fan. Um, what are a couple other of your favorite pieces from this, just to, so we don't end with just three? <laughs> I liked the dialogue in the Super Sons issue. Like, it really reminded just two little seconds <laughs> of reading. <laughs> really reminded me of why I loved Super Sons and why I missed John so much and why they aged him up. I don't know. They could have sprung Connor back from wherever he's been and made him the older Superboy, whatever. Ugh. But. And had that been continued on and actually a story, I would have I would have loved the Super Sons one. And I wanted to love the Super Sons one. Yeah, a, a little nudge for me would be another one that I really loved. It was I feel like it was like almost the perfect entry. Like if you're trying to, you know, encapsulate, you know, Robin, like the classic archetype and the themes and like the look and the feel like that story just waxes nostalgia in a way that isn't like overbearing or in your face. It's, it's a, a good story and it's fun to read. And it just, it hits all the perfect notes when you think of a celebration of the history of Robin. And for me, I'm going to highlight lesson plan. I, I think that the way it was structured and the beauty of the art and the emotional twist of the ending just really make it stand out to me um, because it is about Batman and Robin and how that carries forward. Robin's not just 
a step along the road. It stays with these characters their entire careers. Each of them is shaped by their time as Robin, for better or worse. And I think Lesson Plan really shows the positive parts of that. Um, all right, that wraps up our discussion of the Robin 80th anniversary 100-page super spectacular issue. I want to mention This Week in the Batman Universe Comics, um, a video that I do every week telling you what comics are available in the Batman universe. Um, again, if your comic store is closed, please look into mail order so that they can stay afloat in these times. Um, we'll get to listener feedback next episode, which will be a normal episode covering Batman and Detective Comics. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you want to send feedback or if you want to write for the site or become a guest co-host like Scott. Um, we really appreciate Scott joining us for this issue last minute. He did a wonderful job. I want to thank our Bat fans who contribute either through Patreon or PayPal. We've got Gerald Green, Donald Townsend, Tim Garassi, Captain America, Karinas, Mary Garrett, Real No Deuces, Stanton's Grave, Brendan Roberts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Ed Grouse, Rob O, Ian Miller, Arturo Juarez, Stephanie Mounts, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Hannah Gar, and Johnny McCloskey. Thank you all for contributing and supporting this podcast and the rest of the podcasts and articles on the site. We hope to continue providing that content that you enjoy on our site. So, um, this has been the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Scott. And we look forward to seeing you again one more time this month.